Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We continue our look back 20 years later. This is a fun series we've done at The Athletic where we look at some of the biggest upsets, the biggest games from 2001. And this is an interesting one because this game was not close, but it was not close in a way that I think surprised some people and was a harbinger of some things to come. And we join now Antonio Morales, our USC beat writer, and we're talking USC and UCLA in 2001, which two teams, one finished six and five, one finished six and four, but a closeout the season 27 nothing statement from the Trojans who basically were telling the world, hey, this Pete Carroll guy, I know he wasn't all that, that good with the, the Jets. He's kind of good with the Patriots, but he's going to be real good here. Yeah, it's it's the end of the 2001 season, so it's it, it's the time where USC kind of finds proof of concept for Carroll's early tenure. And if you look at the schedules for both teams, it, it's kind of hilarious going into the game. If you look at the 2001 UCLA football schedule, uh, they open with a win at Alabama, a ranked Alabama team, and the next the next week they play Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And they beat a ranked Ohio State team. So, like, just imagine somebody now or kids now who weren't even born then just hearing, like, UCLA opens the season with wins against Alabama and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. And, uh, I, I, I'm, I know what was going on then, and I can't wrap my mind around it. So, this is Dennis Francione's first year at Alabama and Jim Tressel's first year at Ohio State, which – Stuart Mandel wrote the story about Ohio State beating Michigan at the end of this season where Michigan was supposed to win the game. Ohio State came in kind of, you know, pretty average that year and ends up winning the game. And it, it basically turned that rivalry on its ear. But you're right, that that season began with them losing to UCLA and, you know, us thinking, wait, UCLA is going to be really good this year. Yeah, UCLA started 6-0 and that year and Four of the wins were against top 25 teams. And three years earlier, Bob Toledo had kind of flirted. UCLA had flirted with flirted with a national title run. Then they lost to Miami. So this year, as at that midpoint, I think people were probably thinking, like, we're gonna we're gonna make another run at it. Um, then they kind of at the same time, USC starting two and five. Um, and they're they're losing close games. The Pac-12 was really good that year. Oregon was good yeah. and they had Washington to play K-State State early yeah mm-hmm. that's when K-State was at its you know at the peak of its run and they, they lost to them by four they lost to Oregon and Washington on two walk-off field goals and they lost to Stanford by five and Stanford went nine and three so they started two and five and I think all five losses were by a combined total of 25 points or something so it's, it's a lot of close losses and even Bill Plaschke, I, I was researching the, the stories this week, and Bill Plaschke wrote, this, this is a Bruins football town at all. It has been a Bruins football town, and, and it will be as long as <laughs> <laughs> and as long as things keep going. So, um, you know, he's saying that, and uh, these two teams just look like they were going on such different paths towards, you know, in the middle of the season. Then UCLA loses one game to Stanford, and then they lose the next week to a close – a close loss to a Washington State team. And then Deshaun Watson, get, uh, Deshaun Foster gets suspended for, I believe he was mm-hmm. driving an SUV that was owned by an agent. 
Um, oh. So he was suspended, and he doesn't come back the rest of the year. They lose to Oregon by one. Obviously, they could have used Deshaun Foster in that game. And so they're coming into the USC game. It's kind of a mess. And then at the same time, USC is kind of surging to where they had won a, a game at Arizona, uh, 41-34, that a lot of people in the, that were in the program at that time kind of point to as, you know, this was the turning point that kind of got us rolling. Uh, then they won a, a couple more games, and so they entered this entered this game on a three game winning streak and with a chance to to become bowl eligible. So they were entering this. Both these teams had weird weird seasons where one looked great, the other looked bad. Then the other looked bad, and USC got their act together. So they, they were coming into this game on very different trajectories. Well, let, let's talk about. USC because they, they fire Paul Hackett. Everybody's like, go get Mike Riley. Mike Riley is the guy. And at that time he's coaching the, the chargers. He's been at Oregon state once. He's not, he's going to go back to Oregon state later. USC fans don't want to hear about that. Cause there's some bad Thursday nights in there, but they, they don't get him and, and they keep going down their list. And then they, they get to Pete Carroll who, I mean, conservatively speaking is like the sixth or seventh choice. And I remember, I remember going back into the LA Times letters to the editor from when he got got hired, and people were furious. One guy, one guy, a very classic letter to the editor because he's mad about the football coach getting hired. Going, I'm just going to donate my money to the library now, <laughs> and, and it's just like it, it's crazy because his Jets tenure had ended so badly, and the thought that he would be able to come in and rejuvenate this, this once proud college program. Like you, you couldn't see it. it like, but, but I can imagine once, you know, now that we know what happened there and, and we know how Pete Carroll was there, I can imagine when he came into the interview, they were like, you know what? This definitely could work. It probably took a little while for the, for everybody else to figure that out though. Yeah, it probably took about a year or so for everybody else to, to kind of see it. But uh, he's one of the few coaches that, you know, we've talked about that, you know, learns from their past mistakes and is able to kind of reinvent himself and do things like that. We talked about that with Ed Ogeron and, and LSU a couple of years ago. So, uh, but Pete was one of the guys who was, who was able to do that. And he, he came in with a good staff. That staff had Norm Chow. I, I think Sark was either a assistant coach or a, GA or something on that staff and Ed, Ed, um, Ed Orgeron mm-hmm. and Dwayne Walker was the DB's coach and Lane Kiffin was there obviously and guys like Nick Hold and, and stuff like that. so there's a lot of former there's a lot of future head coaches on that staff and uh, Pete obviously did a good job of bringing in guys with a lot of different ideas a lot of different philosophies and I was talking to Norm Chow for the story because the offense struggled uh, for most of that year and they had to simplify things after the season ended but he just said, yeah, Pete brought in a lot of guys from a lot of different areas, a lot of different parts of football. And it just took a while to, to get things together and get things going. But once, once they simplified things for Carson Palmer, things kind of took off. And that's when the program reached another level. Well, that's it. What, what did they inherit? Because that, that, that class, that first class, I know they signed Sean Cody and, and Matt Leinart. But, you know, obviously Leinart wasn't going to play yet because Carson Palmer's still there. <laughs> Troy Polamalu is still on that team. Who else did they inherit? From from the Paul Hackett regime, it was Kerry Colbert at wide receiver and Kareem Kelly. So the receivers were were good. Obviously Carson Palmer, um, 
the running backs that year, they had a lot of injuries. Uh, Justin Fargus hadn't transferred to the program yet. And he was the guy who kind of became the workhorse in, in O2. And Reggie Bush and Lendale didn't come till two years oh, after. Yeah. So, and they had a lot of running back injuries that year too. So that kind of hurt. Um, th- they slowly built the offensive line over the next couple of years. Um, the defensive line had Kenichi Daisy, who obviously became an all American in 2003 and Sean Cody was just a freshman and, um, Mike Patterson was there as well. So was Alex Holmes is, is a young guy there. It, it, mm-hmm. It's interesting because Hackett, Hackett didn't do a terrible job of stocking the program. It just, they just mm-hmm. weren't, they weren't special on the field. And, and that was, that was the difference. And, you know, I, it is amazing to me how, you know, they started that season and it's funny cause you look at USC now and how public opinion is so against Clay Helton and it feels like every time they lose, it's just another referendum on Clay Helton. Nobody wanted Pete Carroll hired when they're two and five. I can't even imagine if it were now what that would have been like. I mean, I'm not sure they recover from that because it, nobody gives you any time now. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was trying to think about how how that would play out today. If there's a series of a coach who has a, a series of close losses in the first year, is it is it something to where they get doubted, or is it reason to for optimism in the future? I was trying to think. Kirby Smart's first year at Georgia wasn't yeah the greatest, and. But well, I, and, I and think- it, oh, you want to go? You want to go local uh, in LA? Chip Kelly's year last year at UCLA, mm-hmm. four losses, each of them by less than seven points. I mean, if you're like a Phil Steele type, you're banking on that being a turnaround. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the. But but it's one of those. I because I've covered some coaches like this, and some of them who got out of the, the the funk, and some who didn't. They always say during those stretches, "Hey, look how close we are." We're just we're right there. We're just this Ron Zook when he was at Florida. He put the you know his his index finger in his thumb like an inch apart and go. We're just this close, and then they never got over the hump. But Pete Carroll's team did show that promise. Now they lost to Notre Dame, but they started to turn it around. And this UCLA game, I mean, it is a a twenty seven nothing beatdown of a team that. Like you said, started the season beating Alabama and, and, and Ohio State. Now, Alabama was not Alabama. They had just fired their coach the year before, too. But yeah, it, it's still, and Ohio State had just fired their coach the year before. But it's still really talented rosters that, that UCLA is beating. And you're thinking, okay, this could be an elite team in the Pac-10. And by the end of the season... USC is clearly the future. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the recruiting class. I, I was talking to Dwayne Walker. He was like, he was like, it, it was obvious. It was, we were only a few players away from being what we were supposed to be. And that's, that's the recruiting cycle that lands four of the, of the Long Beach Poly five blue chip guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herschel Dennis, Winston Justice, Darnell Bing, Manuel Wright, Mercedes Lewis goes to UCLA. But Mike USC Williams went. was in the 2002 class mm-hmm. where he was and, and he went to Plant High School in Tampa, which at the time was was a terrible high school program. It has since become a great high school program. But he was this big dude playing for a bad team that, you know, the, the schools locally didn't didn't think he was going to be a good receiver. I think they, they talked to him about playing another position. USC wanted to play receiver and 
worked out pretty well at USC. Yeah, so that isn't two recruiting class. UCLA actually finished ahead of them in the recruiting rankings. I think UCLA was number seven, USC was number eight, but USC obviously got a, a pretty big foundation for the years to come in terms of upgrading their talent. And then obviously we saw what happened in 2002 when USC kind of takes off. They start two and two, but then they win the next nine games and win the Orange Bowl. And so the foundation and the, the roots for that were kind of planted in in 2001 with their four-game winning streak. We'll be right back after these words. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. You go back to what Plachke wrote, and and this was a time when the internet existed, but we were not in a, a really connected world, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, there was no Facebook yet. There was obviously no YouTube, no Twitter, no Instagram, none of that. When the, the columnist of the LA Times says, this is a Bruins town, mm-hmm. I mean, that is bad for recruiting if you're Pete Carroll. You got <laughs> yeah, exactly. to deal with that. And, and UCLA was... And that's what he mentioned in his column. UCLA was drawing the bigger crowds and the nineties were largely forgettable at USC and UCLA and won the conference or a share of it like three times. And they had got in two Rose Bowls. USC only went to one. Um, and obviously UCLA was pretty good in 1998 when they made that run uh, and almost went to the BCS title game. So they had been more nationally relevant more recently at that time. So that that was something USC had to had to change and had had to fight. I, I just remember talking to Ed Orgeron about you know his his experience because he had I believe he'd been on the Paul Hackett staff. Mm-hmm. He was recruiting, and and Carol came and saw him while he was out recruiting and liked the way he he was doing all that and said you know what let let's let's keep you here. But it was it was such an uphill climb for them. They, they had to do so much convincing. And it's it's so strange to think because two years later, they're the coolest team in America. Like, that that's just wild how quickly that flipped. Yeah, exactly. I think Sean Cody was the first big guy. That kind of changed things for them. That was the first big fish they landed. And everybody thought he was going to go to Notre Dame. I, I talked to him for the story as well. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really UCLA. He took a visit there, but they weren't in the mix as always Notre Dame and, and USC and Ed Ogeron and Pete Carroll were just relentless. And uh, they, they were able to, to reel him in whenever he thought he was going to Notre Dame. And so that was the first kind of big signifier of, Hey, this top guy believes in this guys. Then everybody else kind of followed over the following years. And the Long Beach Poly guys came in. And then the next year after that, it's Reggie and Lendale and, and those guys, which kind of take the program to a whole nother level after that. And yeah. And so then, just, and then they, they just, just they can get piece. anybody they want. 
That's mm-hmm. they can go anywhere in the country. You know, you get Joe McKnight out of Louisiana. You can go get Leonard Williams or Nikel Roby out of Florida. Like it, 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 once USC showed up, it's lights out because that's where everybody yeah. wanted to go. Yeah, it was Dwayne Jarrett from New Jersey, I think, and Fred Davis from Ohio, and just a bunch of guys. They were selective nationally, and you know they got whoever they wanted on the West Coast. So, uh, but it was funny researching for this story, and uh, I was reading. A, Ivan Mazel wrote a story for ESPN and he was talking to Pete Carroll. He's talking to Pete Carroll on signing day of 2005. And he, was, he talked to Lane too. And, and Lane mentioned about how when they first got there, like Willie Williams had just went to Miami and Kellen Winslow mm-hmm. just went to Miami and Lorenzo Booker, Lorenzo Booker went to Florida state. Florida state. And it's like, yep. and, and it, it started, and you start to think about now and kind of how like you hear the same thing 20 years later, about how too many, all these guys are leaving Southern California and, well, well yeah, like ago. right now, Bryce Young is at Alabama. DJ Uyunglele is at, at Clemson. One of those guys would have been a USC quarterback, and the other one's probably at at UCLA. I mean, mm-hmm. or or at Arizona State or somewhere like that. Like you just didn't you just didn't go across the country like that. It was I, well, I guess Chris Ricks did that. He went to Florida State from yeah. from Southern California, but it was not nearly as common. And it was one of those deals where, you know, if, if USC wanted a quarterback on the West Coast, they got and, and the, the Bryce Young thing, especially, you know, he was committed to USC. He's a modern day quarterback. It, you know, they, basically from liner on, if you were a modern day quarterback and USC wanted you, you went to USC. And uh, it, it does feel like they're kind of back in that that mode right now. Yeah, exactly. And. It's just funny how, even though it was 20 years ago, and so much has changed, just so much is still so similar. Like USC is still a program that's not living up to its full potential, and they still need a spark. <laughs> and so, like 20 20 years later, they're still very much in the same spot. They did have a nice little run there in the in the in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, I. I I wonder how much people recognize it at the time, you know, as that game ends, like, okay, this is going to be different. I would assume if you followed recruiting really closely in Southern California, that you already knew USC was going to be a different animal, but it was such a different time again, you know, rivals is just getting cranked up there. There is not a nationwide network of, of recruiting sites, uh, or there's about to be. But people just don't understand how interconnected all of this stuff is. And I think, you know, Pete Carroll really took advantage of that. And you could be regional and, and get what you needed in Southern California at first and, and become, you know, the best team in, in Southern California, which made you the best team on the West Coast, which then made you cool. And how much of this do you think is no pro football in L.A. at the time? I think a lot of it has to do with that because right now it's a Dodgers and a Lakers town. The Rams are obviously pretty, pretty good too. And the, and the Dodgers were not great. The angels were not great mm -hmm. at this time. The Lakers are really good, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. And and even when USC won the national titles in 04, the Lakers are transitioning out of Kobe Shaq and they're down for a bit. And that's, they just lost the Pistons. Yeah. And they're, and USC is able to kind of, fill the void and capture capture the the attention of the city just because they're the one that's competing for championships. So it, it's 
it, it would be hard to replicate now just because there's so much going on and the Clippers are are better now and they have Kawhi and Paul George and yeah. there's there's two MLS teams and um, you know the, the NFL. The, there's two NFL teams. The, that, the Chargers are about to be good. You heard it here first. Well, you didn't hear it here first. You, if you listen to any NFL podcast, they're the trendy pick this year. But the, the Chargers are going to be good, and and the Rams yeah. are already good. So it, yeah, it's, the Dodgers it are one crazy. of the best organizations. The Dodgers are one of the best yeah. organizations in baseball. So you know, there's so much more to compete with, attention wise now. And USC is USC is fighting an uphill battle, and um, the, the fans are checked out on Clay Helton, and so that that makes it difficult too. How much of, of what is going on now is they had such a cool coach in Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. They had such a, you know, I, iconic personality running the program. And and they did, they tried to recapture that so many different times. You know, they tried to recapture it with Lane. They tried to recapture it with Sark. Uh, you know, I, I would argue that if they tried with, with Orgeron, it might have worked. But mm-hmm. they didn't want to do that. So... You know, Clay is sort of one's one place removed from all that. It's not it's not a chase Pete anymore. If they do make a change, there's probably no Pete Carroll connection. And then it's fine buying that next guy. But I mean, can can Clay Helton or somebody else recreate what they had there? Or is it or are the circumstances just not right for it? I just I just think it's so much harder now. There's there's fewer big guys on the West Coast, and I think if USC is going to get back to where it wants to, <laughs> yeah, if USC is going to want to get back to where where it was then, like USC's whole offensive line in 2005 was drafted. <laughs> like it's how many guys, how many teams do you really see do that now in the Pac-10 in the Pac-12? Um, it just it's just hard, and uh, there's there's fewer big guys. Uh, Skill wise, they're fine, and they can get guys there, but it's just hard to kind of recreate what they had. And, and the defensive alignment, that's, that's where USC really stood out too. And mm-hmm. their 2003, 2004 defensive line, they had second rounders and first rounders all along the defensive line. And it's, it's hard to get, all those guys are going to Alabama now. So just, I, I do think if Jay, Tuf- if Jay Tufele hadn't, hadn't opted out last season, he's probably drafted a lot higher. Mm-hmm. He probably has a good year. We're probably talking about, you know, a, a USC defensive lineman being one of the top guys in the draft, but he didn't. I think the Jags may have gotten a steal on, mm-hmm. on him just because of the circumstances. But, but I think you're right. It, it is a line of scrimmage issue with USC, and the one school in the in the league that is not having that problem is Oregon. You know, Mario Cristobal comes in. You know, it, you think about when Mario Cristobal was the O line coach at Alabama. He goes to Northern California and gets Jonah Williams, like. And I, I know Jonah had some SEC ties in the family and, and the you know family members from that area, but that's not a guy USC would have missed on mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, but and but now he's on he's on the West Coast. Mario is you know he can go down to Salt Lake City and get Panay Sewell. He he can get the the guys. You go he can go and get Kayvon Thibodeau from from Southern California, and that seems to be the issue is. All those guys that were going to USC are going to Oregon now, and it's not it's not just a, a one off like the Anthony Thomas or or Oregon just getting a guy that USC didn't want and developing him. Yeah, they have to beat whatever Oregon's selling and recruiting, especially offensive line wise. Oregon signed the top four guys on the West Coast last year, I believe. They 
uh, the top guy from Utah, the top guy from Arizona, and maybe from Colorado, um, offensive yeah. line wise. So, so they're just they're just you know picking picking guys off, and they're in the region now, and that's that's tough for USC to compete with, and um, you know they've become the go-to spot for the offensive lineman out here. I think Stanford chipped away at USC's hold on that, and they became the offensive line school. Yeah, and now now it's Oregon. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. UCLA, meanwhile, they lose this game. They kind of go into a hole. You know, they shock USC in 06. That was one that that affected the national title picture in that season. Uh, but really, they don't start to look like an equal to USC until Jim Moore is there. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought for a second at the beginning of, of that last decade that UCLA was ready to take off, that they were going to, they were going to pass USC. They were going to become the dominant team in the PAC 12 South. They were getting really good recruits. They were getting elite players that, you know, it wasn't a top to bottom roster like Alabama or, or Ohio state is, but they had a lot of dudes. It just seems like that sort of dissipated. They had about two years of uh, two or three years of that. And then it just, fell apart. It just seemed like they never got the breakthrough victory they're looking for. In 2012, they played Stanford twice. They played them the last week of the regular season in the Pac-12 title game. The Pac-12 title game was, was a close loss. Uh, the next year, I think they went 10-3, and three and they lost their big games to Stanford and, and Oregon. I think Arizona State beat them in a game that was pretty much for the Pac-12 South. And then the next year, they, they beat USC, and they – they had to beat an, a kind of average at that time Stanford team at home to go to the Pac-12 title yep. game. And, and they lose at home. They lose by three touchdowns. And that, that's a game they had to win to kind of break through and maybe compete against an Oregon team that was really, really good that year. But they never just got over the final hump to, to, claim, to really claim control of the city um, like they could have. And the next few years, it just kind of slowly, slowly fall, uh, fell apart, and that's that's when they were getting. That's when they got Josh Rosen too, and uh, yeah, that's when that's when they needed to strike. Jay, Jalen Phillips. To... I mean, it, look, Jalen Phillips was good, but the circumstances while it was at UCLA, just it didn't work. I mean, he needed a, a fresh start to to do what he did, and you know, it's it's just crazy when you think about that. And then Chip Kelly comes in. And he does not want to out-recruit USC. That does not seem to be his MO. He wants to get the guys that he wants, whether they're ranked high or not. And I, I don't know if that's going to work long-term. You know, it hasn't worked yet, but you look, you look at where they are and you go, okay, all of their losses by a touchdown or less, old quarterback, some super seniors, maybe. But then you go, wait, Utah had kind of their their weird rebuilding year during 2020, so they're probably going to be better. Arizona State's going to be good. USC should be pretty good. So where 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 do the wins come from for UCLA now? Exactly. I was looking at their schedule a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to somebody about it. And I, was, you know, I think this could be the breakthrough year, but is the breakthrough year only like eight and four? Just because right. the Pac-12 South is going to be much it's going to be much better this year than it was yeah. a year ago, just because everybody's so experienced and Arizona, Arizona will be 
the bad team probably, but Colorado was feisty last year and yeah. UCLA obviously looked like it improved and SC will still have more talent probably than everybody else in the division. And Utah has Charlie Brewer and yeah. Arizona state, Arizona state's going to be, their receivers are going to be a year older. So that, that'll only help Jaden Daniels and they bring the whole defense back. So it's going to be a really competitive division this year. I don't see anybody kind of getting through it unscathed with only one or two losses. I think it might be like a 2018 where the division winner goes like six and three in the conference. Yeah, and, so. and, and the problem is Oregon is sitting up there like a monster now, kind of, kind mm-hmm. of like early Carroll era USC. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's really how it feels when you see them get off the bus. They look different than every other team in the league. They they are starting to look when they get off the bus like Ohio State doesn't. Coincidentally, they do play this year in Columbus. I am curious to see what those two teams look like standing next to one another. Because my guess is Oregon looks a lot closer to Ohio State than Oregon looked when they played Ohio State for the national title a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I think the difference would be the defensive line. I think that'll be where uh, obviously Oregon has K1 Thibodeau, but they need more to round that out. And I think, yeah, Ohio state is, is three deep at every D line position. Yeah. Yeah. And Oregon's starting to recruit receiver better now, but I still think that's, that's an area where, where they can grow, but at most of the other spots they've recruited so well, especially at linebacker and uh, they're starting to recruit quarterback really well with Ty Thompson and those guys. So I I think at most spots they'll, they'll match up fine, but those are two uh, where I'm concerned about their chances. So we've talked a million times about Clay's status at, at USC, and I, I don't know that there's we, there's no progress to be made talking about it again. He's got to he's got to win big, probably has to win the division at least, maybe even the league. But what about Chip's situation? Because that has not been what they thought they were getting. They you know they go they go against Florida trying to get Chip. He picks UCLA, uh, which I think was a much better fit for him. But do does he have to turn a corner soon to make this work there? I, I would think so, just because they've they've developed well. It, it's almost like if if only you could combine USC's recruiting with Chip Kelly's development, and then you'd have like oh. the greatest team. <laughs> and uh, well, uh, there may be an opening at USC. <laughs> so and so like. Because I was really impressed with UCLA last year watching them play USC. And I was like, okay, these guys are developing in the trenches. They gave mm-hmm. Arizona State a lot of trouble uh, a week or two before. And the offensive line, they've always been able, they've been able to run the ball the past couple of years. And that's one staple. That's been one constant during Chip's run over there. They've run the ball really, really well. And, and, they've and when, when, DTR, when DTR played, he looked very confident. He looked very in command of the offense, which is not yeah. what you said the, the first couple of years. Yeah, and he's taken steps forward. So you think this year is the year they kind of need a breakthrough with him and the, and the tight end, Dulcich, who's really, really good. And Bob Tolines taking another step forward. Uh, to me, where it comes down to them is can they stop anybody? In the past couple of years, they haven't been able to stop USC. And uh, the secondaries had a lot of issues. It seems like they give Arizona State a lot of problems, but everybody else, it's kind of, it's kind of a struggle. Who knows? Maybe this year's USC UCLA game will be like the one 20 years ago where it was there's there's a new king in LA and and we'll see but but that's that's really what this is. This is about ownership of LA and really taking back LA from from Mario Cristobal. So one of one of those two programs has to figure out how to do that and 
I'll be very curious to see how they do that this season. But in 2001, it was an emphatic Pete Carroll is going to own this town for the next few years. So just be ready for it. And, uh, exactly. And that obviously USC can't own, can't be the preeminent program in college football without owning the West coast. They can't do that without owning LA. So that, that kind of set the roots for that. And uh, we, we all saw what followed. The battle for two, one, three continues. Antonio, thank you so much. 